This is episode number 86 of the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to eliminate public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Welcome to the Fearless Presentations podcast. I'm Doug Stannard, CEO of the Leaders Institute and Fearless Presentations. And this is the podcast that helps people just like you become more confident employees, presenters, and speakers. This is podcast number 86, and this is part three of a five-part series on how to write speeches that, that really work. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you a really simple turnkey process that helps that, that can help you write most speeches that you're, you're going to have to deliver in the business world anyway. Um, and the, the technique that we kind of showed you how to use is something that will allow you to design speeches in minutes versus, you know, hours or days like it, like most people take to, to write a presentation. Um, now, that structure works in most business presentations. However, over the years, I found that there are a few exceptions to, to the the, uh, the, the rule that make it a little bit more challenging, a few types of presentations that are a little bit more challenging to design. So um, a, a last year we did a, a session on eulogies, which is a little bit different than the type of, of presentation that we're showing you how to design in that turnkey approach. Last week I showed you uh, a technique to help you do um, a wedding toast or a series of wedding toasts. Um, this week we're going to cover the persuasive speech. It's a little bit different than most types of speeches because most of the time the persuasive speeches are going to be a little bit shorter. Um, so this week we're going to we're going to cover that. Um, this this type pre- this type of presentation is one that can. Yeah, it, it's when it, you can deliver if you've only got a minute or two to try to win people to your way of thinking. And it can be used in, in a lot of different situations. It might be when somebody interrupts your regular presentation with a question and we know that they're trying to put us on the defensive. So, you know, we have to kind of win them to our way of thinking in that type of situation. Could be just small talk around the water cooler with a coworker or with a friend. Or it could be if you're trying to teach somebody how to do something or inspire them to create a behavior change or make a behavior change in, in what they're doing. Any of those kind of situations are situations where this type of persuasive speech can be really, really helpful. And so we're going to cover that on, on this session. Now, the podcast is brought to you by Fearless Presentations. And if you want some real valuable one-on-one coaching to help you apply the concepts from this podcast, then I would invite you to attend one of our two-day public speaking classes. They, we, we have these in cities all over the United States, Canada, Europe. And in fact, in the next month or two, we've got classes coming up in Charlotte, San Antonio, Houston, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Minneapolis, Philadelphia, Columbus, New York, Detroit, New Orleans, and Nashville. And if I didn't call your, your city, just go to fearlesspresentations.com, look at the upcoming class schedule, and if you see a class there, make sure and register right away because the classes fill up and we can only have about, we, we like to limit the, the class size to about eight to 10 people, depending on the, the size of the room that we're in. And so uh, once the seats are, are full, you know, you have to kind of wait another three or four months for the, the next class to come up. So if you're interested in attending one of those classes, make sure and go to fearlesspresentations.com. Um, in addition to that, make sure and reach out to me on LinkedIn or Facebook, any of the social media 
networks that are out there. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. If, if you if you send me an invitation, I, uh, most often I'll, <laughs> I'll connect with you. Um, and that way, if you have questions or anything like that that you want to give me, um, we can either answer them right there on social media or um, a lot of the questions that come in uh, from our social media campaigns are ones that we actually use to create the content here for the podcast. So if you have ideas or suggestions, make sure and reach out, give me a comment on social media and and I'll, I'll do my best to respond to you. All right, so let's get on with today's podcast. So if you want to learn how to write a persuasive speech or if you just want to if you just want to make sure that you persuade your audience without raising resentment when you speak, then um, this technique can really, really help you. Help you. Um, in fact, one of the things that you'll likely figure out very early on in this podcast is that most likely the techniques that you that you learned in school to help you be more persuasive are not going to be very helpful if if you really want to win people to your way of thinking. And, and I'll kind of go through that as as we kind of cover the session here. In for instance, in high school, you might likely have learned that if you want to write a good persuasive speech, you have to do a lot of research and then list all the pros and cons of each side of the argument and then use lots of data to win over your audience. And that technique is actually a very terrible way to persuade people. And most often it actually causes the other person to actually want to play devil's advocate and and actually argue with you. So in this in this podcast, we're going to show you a really simple way to win people to your way of thinking without raising resentment. And if you use this technique, your audience will actually want to agree with you. So let me kind of start off with a little bit of background about how to write a persuasive speech. So one of the one of the highest needs of human be- human beings is is the the want or the need to be heard and to be understood. So when you're writing a persuasive speech, it's really important to remember that your audience wants you to understand them as much as you want to be understood. And if you kind of look at it from that perspective, it makes it a little bit easier to kind of think of where the, the audience member or the person that you're trying to persuade is coming from. There was a, there's an old um, quote from Samuel Butler, been used for years and years and years. In fact, I, I think my dad was the first one that I, I heard this from. But he, he said um, that he that complies against his will is of his own opinion still. And I've heard that like 15 different ways. But basically what it's trying to say is that if you force somebody to change their opinion, they're going to be of the same opinion, right? So um, so if you, if you recall that, if you think about that as you're trying to persuade somebody, it's not about forcing somebody to agree with you. And it's not about forcing somebody to understand where you're coming from. It's kind of it it's it's more about getting the other person to hear you in a way to where you're not going to raise their cackles up you know they're not going to you're not going to raise resentment so step 1 if you want to be able to persuade somebody without offending them step 1 is to start with an example or a story about the thing that you're trying to persuade them to do so stories and examples have a powerful way to set people at ease and in fact, they, they get the audience really interested in the presentation. So stories that they help you, they help your audience see the concepts that you're trying to explain in a real visual way. The more details that you put into that story, the more vivid the images that are being created in the minds of your audience members. So this concept is it's not a mystical, it's mystical concept or anything like that. It, it's science. You know, when you communicate effectively with another person, the purpose is to help the listener picture the concept in his or her mind that is similar 
to the concept that's in your mind, into the speaker's mind. And so the old adage is that, you know, picture is worth a thousand words. Well, an example or a story is a series of moving pictures. So if that's true, you know, then then a really well-told story can be worth thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of, of words or quote-unquote facts. So I, I'll give you an example. So let's say I'm going to give you a factual arguments about why you should wear seatbelts, you know, and, and I just say that my statement is seatbelts save lives and I want to prove it to you. So so if I tell you that seatbelts save lives and I try to prove it with a bunch of facts, then it would sound something like this. By the way, these are actual stats, statistics or, or stats from the CDC. It was posted on their website. I'll put a link in, in the show notes for it if you actually want to see the, the statistics. But um, of those statistics, it says that 53% of all motor vehicle fatalities from last year were people who weren't wearing seatbelts. A second statistic is that people not wearing seatbelts are 30 times more likely to be ejected from the vehicle. And then finally, in a single year, crash deaths and injury cost us as a, as a, as a community or as a, as a country over $70 billion. Now, these are actual statistics, you know, and in when I read each one of these things in, in kind of a bullet point, there's a good chance that you are, are kind of like me when I first saw them. You're likely going to be a little skeptical. Like, for instance, when you when you see that the the statistic that 53 percent of people statistic uh, for, from my perspective, when I kind of look at that, I'm like, uh, well, is that right at half? <laughs> Does that mean that that? The other half were wearing seatbelts. So the people that died in crashes had the other half were actually wearing seatbelts. Well, that doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence, right? And when you see the 30 times more likely statistic, then you're likely thinking, okay, that sounds a little exaggerated, you know? So basically with statistics, the thing about statistics is that when you when we look at a statistic, our automatic human reaction, our human nature kind of kicks in. And we want to play devil's advocate. We want to we want to kind of poke holes in it and see if that that really is true. And in fact, um, the uh, looking at the the website, the CDC website, it gave the bullet points of those statistics, but it didn't really say where those statistics came from. Right? It didn't really kind of show the studies that were done or the the information that was done. And so, a lot of times. When we present statistics in in that type of way, the audience is really going to question our, our content. Now, let me give you a different version, though. If I, if I use just a single example, a really well-told example, and I try to prove to you that seatbelts save lives, it, it might sound something like this. So about 20 years ago, I was on a trip from West Texas to the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and it was late in the evening, and there was a, a lot of traffic. It, there wasn't a lot of traffic on the highway, so it was it was, you know, the traffic was pretty sparse. So if you've ever been on one of those lonely highways between, you know, the big cities in Texas, you'll know that there's just not a lot of scenery. So it was kind of boring. So the terrain was flat and 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 I could feel my my eyelids kind of getting drowsy. And this was back before MP3 players. And so and this is back before we had we all had smartphones that had every song ever created on them. And so I had a, a stack of five compact discs, five CDs that um, that were close at hand while I was on the trip. And so I just kept flipping those back and forth, you know, because uh, I mean, it was I just didn't have a whole lot to listen to. So I was going back from one CD to the next to the next to the next. And one of the times I'd, I was shuffling the CD, I'd, I'd gotten to um, I stuck the CD into the the um, CD player 
and I was it was just about to take hold and start to to place. So I was I was waiting for that um, the the num the different numbers to show up so I can kind of punch the track that I wanted to play this spot song that I really wanted to hear. And just about the time I did that, I looked up and when I did, I saw headlights of an oncoming pickup truck that had crossed over the the center line right in in my windshield, and then just everything blacked out. Everything just went totally black. And I came to a short time later and I, and I tried to open my door and the door was just kind of crushed in. And the, the windshield, though, was shattered in pieces. So I, I took off my seatbelt and I scrambled out the hole where the, the seatbelt had been just a few minutes ago. The driver of the of the other truck was just an absolute bloody mess, though, and his leg was pinned under the steering wheel. And the firefighters came a few minutes later. They they got there very quick. Well, actually, I don't know really know how fast they got there because I'm not sure how how long I was actually passed out. But um, but it took them over 30 minutes to cut this guy out of the metal, cut the metal around of his body out of the out of the out of the truck. And um, so I'm, I'm kind of watching all this happen, just still in, in kind of shock and daze. And the sheriff de sheriff's deputy came up and saw they had a cut on my face, saw that I was uh, that was pretty bloody. And he asked if I had been in the accident. And I pointed to my truck, and his his eyes got big as saucers. And he says, "You were in that vehicle?" And I nodded, and he rushed me to an ambulance. And and I had actually ruptured my colon. I had I had uh, and and I did have to go to surgery. And I was down for about a month or so, but I survived. And in fact, I survived with very little long term challenges from that accident. Now the guy who hit me though, he wasn't so lucky because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. The initial impact from the accident was was basically his head hitting the steering wheel and then again hitting the windshield. So he had to have a number of serious surgeries to to make his face even somewhat resemble what he looked like prior to the accident. And the only reason that he wasn't thrown from the wreck was that his leg got smashed under the dashboard as his body flew upward and it and it broke his leg in like six different places. So for me, the accident was a temporary trauma and I was out for a while, but for him, it was a lifelong tragedy. Now we were both in similar vehicles. We were both involved in the same accident at the same speed. The only difference was that I was wearing my seatbelt and he wasn't. So as you can see, there is a major difference between the two techniques. The story that I told gives a lot of memorable de details along with an emotion that really captures the attention of the audience. And in both of the examples, it, it, I mean, you just listen to both of them, right? If, if I ask you questions about each one of them, like for instance, without without kind of rewinding the, the podcast, if I asked you how long did it take for the firefighters to cut the other driver out of the car, there's a good chance you're probably going to recall that that was 30 minutes. And if I said, how many CDs did I have that I was flipping back and forth through, it's a good chance you're going to come up with the number five. Now, however, if I, if I, if I um, kind of ask you, um, uh, let's see, let, let's see if I ask you something about the earlier thing. Like, for instance, if I asked you um, in a single year, how much um, it, does the United States actually pay in um, or lose due to crash deaths and injury costs. And it's, it, that number is going to be a little bit more challenging. And the reason why is because it was a statistic that was given. It wasn't really told to us in a way that was really interesting or compelling. So the more that you use the emotional impact of a story, the easier it is for people to pay attention. And so now at the end of your, of your story, you can actually do step number two, which is 
what you want to do at the, at the end of the story is then give your advice. A lot of people do the exact opposite. They start with their advice up front, and then that's going to cause people to be argumentative. But um, so when most people start to write a persuasive speech or design a persuasive speech, they, they typically start with their opinion or their advice or whatever it is that they're trying to 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 convince the audience of. And this this is this makes the listener really want to play devil's advocate. But if you start with the example, like I, like I did earlier, we give the listener a simple way to agree with us. They can agree that that story was that that I just told was true. And and um, all you really really have to do is once you kind of finish the story is, is give your opinion. So in my opinion, if you wear a seatbelt, you're much more likely to avoid serious injury in a severe crash. So basically, now that I've told the story and give the advice, it's less argumentative. People, um, people are less likely to kind of jump to to the devil's advocate role and and try to poke holes in in my theory. So by the way, this technique is not new. It's been around for thousands and thousands of years. Aesop or Aesop was a he was a Greek slave over 500 years before Christ, and his stories were passed down verbally for hundreds of years before anyone ever wrote them down in a in a collection. And today, when you read an Aesop fable, you'll you'll get anywhere from 30 seconds to two minutes of a, of a story or a parable. And then at the conclusion, almost as a postscript, you're going to get the advice. And most often, that advice is going to come in the form of the moral of the story is right. So, when 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 you you can do the same thing when you're giving your persuasive speech speeches or persuasive presentations. Just spend more most of the time in the persuasive speech, kind of giving the story and the details. And then just a few seconds at the end, give your moral of the story. And if you really want to solidify it, you can do step number three, which is in with a benefit to the audience. Basically tell the audience why they should do the thing that you're asking them to do. So the story captures and holds the attention of the audience. The moral of the story reinforces what conclusion you want the audience to draw. The final part of the process is just to tell the audience how they will benefit from this advice. So remember, the audience is really self-centered. I mean, we all are. So if you focus on how the audience will benefit from the advice that you're going to give them, then you'll show them that what they really want is in line with what you actually want as well. So, so like, for instance, I could say something like, so the moral of the story is to wear your seatbelts. And if you do that, you're going to avoid being cut out of your car and endless reconstructive surgeries. You know, so so basically I'm, I'm kind of using the the story as a way to kind of show a benefit to the to the audience. So now instead of leaving your audience just wanting to argue with you, you're more likely to get them thinking, man, I don't want to be cut out of my car. <laughs> I don't want to have a bunch of facial surgeries. So the process is very simple, but it's really, really, really powerful. So if you're if you happen to be trying to convince your audience of something that's a little bit more um, elaborate, you know, a little bit more involved. So you're you you have there's a step-by-step -step process that you can use. It's what I call the breadcrumb approach. So if you understand the concept that we just covered, where starting with a story gets people, it gets their defenses down, they're more likely to, to agree with us, and then we give them something that they can agree with and tell them how they're going to benefit, that's a, that's a fantastic way to start winning people to your way of thinking. So if you, you can actually use a series of these stories as a way to get people to move toward the goal that you're trying to get them to. And this is one of the things that we teach pretty thoroughly in the Fearless Presentations class. It's one of the things that it's it's a fantastic technique for helping people see the concepts that we're trying to get across from them in a totally different perspective and make them more agreeable. 
to the things that we're doing. And, and all we're doing is just using science as a way to, to show people how they can get a benefit out of the things that we're trying to get across to them. So, so um, you, you can you basically all you would do is you would use you tell a series of stories in kind of a breadcrumb strategy, and then you use each consecutive story to move your audience closer to the ultimate conclusion that you want them to draw. So each story gains a little bit more agreement. So first, you might start off with a simple story about an easy to agree with concept, and then next, add an additional story to gain an additional agreement, right? And then you use the process of, you know, you can use that process three to five times in a formal presentation. And at the end of it, your audience will kind of look at you and go, well, duh, that makes total sense because it is, it's logical. It's something that they can agree with. And you're using each one of those stories to reinforce a, 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 the bullet points that you're trying to get across to the audience and lead them in your direction. So I'll give you an example of what one of these would sound like. Now, I just kind of picked a random topic that I know was going to be kind of controversial. So um, just so you know, I'm I'm not adamant about this. I'm just kind of using this as an example. So um, and I'm I'm kind of indifferent one way or the other on this. But what I did was I'm using this as a way to to take something that's even controversial, even even something that you know maybe 50% of the population are going to agree with and 50% are going to disagree with, and still make it easier for the people that disagree with me to actually agree with me. So the topic that I chose and it's a landmine, is marijuana legalization is causing huge problems in our biggest cities. So the, the first bullet point here is that homelessness has is, is gotten really out of control in the first states to legalize marijuana. And I'll give you an example. Like last year, my, my family and I took a, a little mini vacation to Colorado Springs, and it was in the summertime. And, and years ago, I, back when I was in college, I spent a summer in Colorado. I had an internship with with an oil company there, and just loved it. And so I wanted my family to kind of experience that that great time that I had when I was here as a youth. And so we were we were there for you know like I think we were there three or four days. It wasn't a very long time, but in that short period of time, we noticed a dramatic difference in in things that had happened since I had been there, and you know a couple of decades before the homeless homelessness and the homeless people were absolutely everywhere. Now keep in mind, this wasn't Denver. This wasn't downtown Denver. This was Colorado City. So it's a much smaller city. Um, so the picturesque, picturesque landscape with, with the Rocky Mountains and Pikes Peak right around us was was actually, it was clouded by, you know, ripped sleeping bags on the street corners and trash spread out every, everywhere. And, and we were in the downtown area and my wife and daughter wanted to do some shopping. So my son and I found a comic book store across the street um, to, so we could kind of browse while my wife and daughter were kind of shopping. And we just kind of hung out there for for a few minutes. And when we, as we were coming out though, we almost bumped into this, this really dirty man in torn clothes. And he smiled at us and he kind of walked a few feet away from the door and he just kind of lit up a joint right in front of us, which was kind of odd. I mean, I'm there with my 12 year old son, which was kind of an odd thing, you know? And, and so this guy kind of sat down in the corner. He was just kind of smoking it. My son and I walked about a quarter of a mile back to the store where we left my wife and daughter. And, and during that, that short, you know, block and a half or whatever it was, we must have walked over, stepped around or walked over about a dozen homeless people that are, were camped out all right in the middle of town. And, and this was this was just it was not the Colorado that I remembered the, from the time that I spent there anyway. from And from what I've heard, it's gotten even worse in the last year. That was last year when I did this. So if you don't want to 
dramatically increase your homeless population, then you probably don't want to make marijuana legal in your state. Um, the second thing that I kind of figured out was that DUI in instances and traffic accidents have actually increased in these early adopter states for, for legalizing marijuana. So I was at the airport waiting for a flight last week. The guy next to me actually offered me his newspaper. Now, I personally haven't read a newspaper in years. I mean, I, I kind of gave up newspapers a long time ago. So, but he he was a nice guy, and I I didn't want to offend him, so I kind of I kind of took it and I pretended like I was reading it. And it was funny because on the the um, the, the 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 headline on the front page was about the unintended consequences from legalizing marijuana. So. And basically what they did was they did a story about the about was USA Today, you know, so it's not a very it's not a, a conservative publication. It's a fairly liberal kind of public publication. So um, so uh, and, and basically what they were quoting in the, the document or in the article was that safety officials and police in a number of different states, Colorado, Nevada, Washington and Oregon, which were some of the first four states to, to legalize recreational marijuana have reported like a 6% increase in traffic accidents in the last few years. Now, although 6% doesn't sound like a lot, um, it was notable. The reason why it was notable to these folks is that the rate of accidents had actually been decreasing in each of these states prior to the law change. So basically for like a decade and a half prior to the law being changed, the number of traffic accidents from DUI had been dropping um, pretty significantly. And now all of a sudden it was up 6% in, in, in less than a few years. So assuming that that only one of the two parties involved in these new accidents was under the influence, um, that means that that when they have an accident with somebody else, that means that the people that they were in an accident with are, are, are actually being penalized. They're being hurt by, by this, this increased incidence of, of um, traffic accidents. So if you don't want to increase your chances of being involved in a DUI incident, then don't legalize marijuana. Now, just by the way, let me kind of step aside a little bit and kind of show you what I did there. I, I basically used an article as my evidence. It was basically, I was just quoting an article from the USA Today but to make it more memorable, I just told the story about how I came across that article. I told the story about how the guy in the airport kind of forced me, forced it on me, and that's the only reason I was reading it, right? So basically, by telling the story, it makes it a little bit more interesting. And, and by the way, it makes it easier for me to use that as evidence because I, I don't have to remember all of the data from that article because people are people that are listening to me in, in the audience are knowing, okay, well, this is just something he read. In a, in a newspaper, so they don't they don't expect me to be the expert on that newspaper article, right? So so I don't have to kind of pretend like I know everything about this topic because I don't, right? So anyway, so so d just as an aside, um, just wanted to kind of explain that. Now the the third thing or the third reason why you you probably don't want to um, kind of legalize marijuana in your state is that marijuana is still largely unregulated. And I, I'll give you an example. So just before my dad went into hospice care, he passed away a couple of years ago, but but uh, just before he went into hospice care, he was in a tremendous amount of pain. So he had a prescription for painkiller that he used to take just before he went to bed so that he could get a relatively good night's sleep, and especially in those last few months that he was, he was around. And one night I got a frantic call from my mom and my, my dad had, had gone into like this catatonic state. He wasn't responsive. His blood pressure was dangerously low. And so I rushed over to his house. And by the time I got there, the ambulance was already there and, and, uh, and was taking my dad to the hospital. When, when, when we got him to the hospital, 
Um, it, it took a while for him to actually recover from this, but after, uh, after a few days, we kind of realized what had happened. Um, it, it turns out that his regular doctor had been on vacation and the fill-in doctor had actually prescribed a much higher dosage of the painkiller that, that, that he was taking. And I mean, obviously it was, it was an accident. That's the, my dad was on a much lower dose because, um, he was on, um, um, uh, dialysis, right? So, so, um, it, since, since he was only on dialysis a couple of times, you know, three times a week, then, um, the, the normal way of getting rid of toxins or in this case, a narcotic out of the system was, was, uh, was spread out. And so they didn't want to give him a huge dose. And, and obviously the, the fill in doctor just didn't realize that. And he gave him the normal uh, dosage. So basically my dad had been taking 2.5 milligram versions of this narcotic and he was prescribed a 10 milligram. So, um, and so basically the, the, um, the, uh, the doctor had told him, his original doctor had told him that he could take a single tablet before bedtime as needed. And if he was in a lot of pain, he could take two, you know, that was still, that was, you know, five milligrams is still fairly reasonable. I think anyway, for, for that, uh, for that type of painkiller. But since dad was in a lot of pain, most nights, he almost always took two tablets before he went to bed. And um, since he was on dialysis three times a, a, a week, he was on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So his kidneys weren't really filtering out the excess narcotic each day. So when he ended up getting that 10 milligram tablet and he'd actually end up taking two of them on Friday night, it wasn't too bad on Saturday, but then he took two more on Saturday night. And then on Sunday night, when I got the frantic phone call, this was the third night in a row that he had taken basically three times the uh, the dosage that he had been taken. So he had, instead of having, you know, what the, the max would have, which would have been what, about uh, 15 milligrams, I guess, if, if he had been on the lower version, he actually had somewhere around 60 milligrams in his system. So my point is that the narcotics that my dad was taking, they were actually prescribed and, and they were, and it's a highly regulated medicine under a doctor's care. And a mistake was still made that almost killed him. <laughs> so with marijuana, there's really no way of knowing how much narcotic is in each dosage. So if a person smokes a, a joint from one crop, he may have very little effect from it, but if he, if, and he may be able to drive without any impairment or, and operate absolutely normally. However, the same dosage from a different crop may have a dramatically different result. And an unknowing person may end up innocently taking you know, intaking anyway, huge dosage that could cause him to have an accident or, or cause injuries to himself or others. So in conclusion, legalizing marijuana can increase homelessness in your air, in your area dramatically. It can also increase the number of impaired drivers. And finally, it can cause accidental overdoses, which because of lax regulation in the product, right? So now keep in mind, so that that's a, a fairly controversial kind of topic. But basically, by using just examples and stories as a persuasive technique, even if you totally disagree with everything that I've said, you can still kind of see, well, all right, that does make sense. You know, it's it, it, the the um, if you're using this breadcrumb breadcrumb approach, you, you, but you can take a controversial topic and and create a presentation that's likely to get at least some agreement. They still may not totally agree with you, but at least they're going to say, okay, well, I can see where this person is coming from. And they're less likely to be, um, the, to disagree with the conclusion. They're less likely to 
disagree with the way that you presented your side. So the person may say something like, well, I still disagree with you, but I totally see your point. <laughs> and that's, that's really a step in the right direction. Now, the, just keep in mind that our instructors are experts at helping presenters design presentation, presentations that are real persuasive. So we offer the Phyllis Presentations classes in cities all over the world every two to three, four months or so. So if you, if you really want to get practice at doing stuff like this, make sure and go to fearlesspresentations.com, look up the upcoming presentation schedule and register for a class. We'd love to, to see you and help you and do some one-on-one -on -one coaching with you. By the way, if you haven't yet subscribed for the podcast, make sure and do that. I mean, we're coming up with new content every single week and, and you really want to get access to that when it comes out because the, this is the kind of stuff that can be very helpful to most people, especially in their career. So we'll see you next week on the Fearless Presentations podcast. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.